Good morning, everyone. So if you felt like Christmas snuck up on you last year, here's your warning. There are 355 days till Christmas, so you've been warned. Some people are so excited, they already have their lights up. It's awesome. (laughs) So Happy New Year, Element. My name is Donald. I'm a deacon, and me and my wife lead at GC here at Element. And I get to start the year off here with you this morning. And I think 2016 is going to be a fun year here at the church, and today actually marks the beginning of the end of us being in this building. Uh, This is our last year in this building, and if you weren't aware, we bought the land behind us over there, and we're going to be building a new church. And if everything goes well, we're going to be moving into that new church in 2017. So continue praying for that process. If you're giving to Planting Roots... Thank you for those donations. Keep, come, keep bringing them in. And if you're curious about what Planting Roots is or curious about the new building, you can get more information on Planting Roots and the new site uh, back at the Welcome Center. So if you're new this, here this morning, welcome. Here, here at Element, we just finished going through a season called Advent, where we look forward to the coming of Jesus on Christmas. We spent a lot of time reflecting on the hope, love, joy, and peace of God. It culminated on Christmas Eve where we learned about God with us. Now we are moving past Advent into a time of epiphany. John G. was up here last Sunday to talk about the wise men and how, he went, how they went to go visit Jesus and how they were driven to him by their faith and faith alone. I'm up here today to talk about Jesus when he was just 12 years old. And Aaron will return next week and he's going to finish up this season of Epiphany where we see who Jesus is and Jesus is revealed to us and we realize that God is with us. So let's get started. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God that sent your only Son to us to not only be an example of what it is to live for you and serve you and love you and worship you, but for saving us, for bringing us back into relationship with you. Thank you for all that you do. I pray that you would allow us to see who you are as our great and loving God and that we would be a people that would follow you and serve you. In your name we pray. Amen. When Aaron asked me to speak this morning, he gave me two verses to choose from. One was really easy, and I was actually really excited about it because I knew exactly what I wanted to say, and I kind of had my, my head really wrapped around this verse. And the other one was really difficult. And after taking some time and praying about it, I went with the difficult one. And even though my life has been hectic, crazy busy lately with a newborn this past year and everything going on, I still went with the difficult one because I felt like God was really pulling me to it. And I learned a lot as I started writing this message, and it kind of tore me up a little bit. It really revealed how much sin is actually in my life and how great Jesus was and really ex- explain to see who Jesus is, and I hope that this message kind of does the same for you this morning. So please open your Bibles to Luke 2.41. We're going to start there this morning by reading through a section of verse together that takes place when Jesus was a young boy. Now, before we begin, this is the only section of scripture that where Jesus is a young boy between his birth and his public ministry. Now, There are a lot of stories of Jesus you can find if you really look for them. Like, I read one story, and i got to be clear, this is not biblical, this is not in the Bible, but there's a story of Jesus, and he's running around with some other kids, and he runs by a shop where the shop owner is dyeing some clothes, and he takes all these clothes, and 
and uh, puts him into a big batch of indigo. And the shop owner was furious and yelled at Jesus and these other boys. And Jesus came back and said, basically apologizes and says, well, what color do you want the shirts? And he pulled each one out of the batch of indigo to the color the shop owner wanted. And the shop owner was amazed at this and praised Jesus. And, and there's another story I heard. And again, this second story is not biblical, but apparently the story goes that Jesus was a young boy. He's playing with some mud by a river, like little boys playing mud. And he's taking the mud and he's throwing them up and the mud would turn into real doves and fly away. Now, these stories, you can dig them up if you'd really do some research. I don't know how true they are. I don't put much weight in them myself, but who knows? Besides all these stories of Jesus you can dig up, we know that the one we're about to read together is true because when Luke was writing his Gospels, he relied heavily on eyewitness accounts. Luke would trace these stories and people's accounts of Jesus very carefully and make sure that everything was backed up by multiple people who were there. So while I'm sure Luke had a lot of stories of Jesus Throughout his entire life, Luke would only include what was important and had multiple eyewitness accounts to it. Now at this time, Jesus is 12 years old and he's on a road trip with his parents to the big city. We're going to read through it and then I'll Tarantino it a bit as we go jump around and look at all the different aspects of the story. So, starting at Luke 2.41, the boy Jesus in the temple. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they, were <clears throat> as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he he spoke to them. And he went down with them to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So the first thing to notice is that we're always told that Luke is showing us that Jesus was uniquely the Son of God. Did you not know I would be in my father's house? This shows us that even as a young age, Jesus understood that he was both fully God and fully man. So it's pretty safe to say that his parents didn't hide this fact from him. Now, we don't know what Mary or Joseph's understanding of this was, and we don't know how much they really understood it, but they at least explained it the best they could to this young Jesus. So we spent the last couple of weeks in Advent, and Aaron explained how Jesus was both fully man and fully God in week two of Advent. And if you're listening to the podcast, I recommend you actually go back and listen to week two of Advent, then come back to this. If you're here this morning, then we'll just... Go through it, maybe go back to week two of Advent uh, later today. Now, even as a young boy, Jesus understood that he was fully God and fully man. Let's check off a few things on this list that Jesus that made Jesus fully human. And if this list applies to you, then you are also fully human. So, born of a woman, <clears throat> check. Had a normal body of flesh and bones. Grew up as a boy. Okay, not all of you grew up as boys, that's okay. You grew up, we'll count it. Had a family, obeyed his parents. I'll give that a partial check. Worshipped God, worked as a carpenter. Okay, I am the worst carpenter. I can barely hang a photo on a wall, but I work hard, so we're going to count it. 
got hungry, asked for information, was stressed, was astonished, was happy, told jokes, had compassion, had male and female friends he loved, gave encouraging compliments, loved children, celebrated the holidays, went to parties, loved his mom. So Jesus was, in fact, fully human. God doesn't get hungry, get, get stressed, take naps, or go to parties. This is God in the flesh. Jesus lived a fully human life, just as we do. In 1 Timothy 1.17, Jesus shows us that he is king, the only God. So Jesus is also fully God as well. Here's the fully God checklist. Let's see if you guys have any of these. Spoiler alert, you won't. Um, omnipresence, being everywhere throughout history. Omnipotence, unlimited or great power. Immutability, unchangeable. Omniscient, knows everything. He predicted the future, being without end, living forever. Creator, sustainer of creation, savior, authority over all things, a deity as the only God. Jesus also showed us that he was fully God through the nearly 40 miracles he performed. So Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the only person throughout history that can check off the list of both being fully human and fully God. So when Jesus says, in my father's house, we see that even as a boy, Jesus understood what it was to be fully human and fully God. Remember, this morning, we're going to be talking about the humanity of Jesus. And from a very human point of view, this is amazing to me because I can barely grasp this concept of fully God and fully man. However, I can easily accept it. And maybe, just maybe, that's what Jesus did. Maybe he accepted this fact and learned what it was to be fully God and fully human through religious study and custom. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Mary and Joseph, they were faithful to God. They followed custom, and they enjoyed a really good party. Passover is a celebration that reminded the Jewish people of when God freed them from slavery and made them a nation. It's a celebration, and so as people of God, Mary and Joseph went on their annual road trip to Jerusalem to celebrate God's love for us and how God set us free. So they're there celebrating, probably catching up with those they haven't seen in a while, worshiping and praising the Lord, and it's probably a really great time. Sounds very similar to a bit of celebrating we all just did. And if you're here this morning, then that celebration has come to a sad end, and tomorrow we get to go back to our normal lives and back to the grind on Monday. Just like Passover came to a, an, end, an end for Joseph and Mary, and they were ready to head back home with everyone else. But at this point, Jesus actually stays behind. His parents did not know it, picking up on verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Okay, raise your hands if you ever lost a child. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. That's so good. Okay, so about three months ago, I'm uh, take, when Gavin was born and too young to really leave the house, him and Laura stayed behind. I took Faith to her double, he, uh, double soccer game, and I had Graceland and Felicity with me. So this is me and the three girls. So we went to the first game. Set up the chairs and umbrellas and send Faith on her way, and I had Felicity and Graceland with me. After their first game, I moved uh, Felicity and Graceland from one side of the field to the other side, home to away. Packed up all our chairs, the umbrella, all the toys, everything else. Go to the other side, set everything up, and I look up, and Graceland is not with me. So I look around a little wider. Graceland is nowhere in sight. I widen my radius even more. Still no Graceland. So I sit Felicity down in her chair, tell her not to move. She listens and behaves. And I tell her... I, you know, stay there, and I'm now on the hunt. 
I look across the field thinking maybe Grayson turned back, but I don't see her anywhere among all the people over there. I start heading to the playground, and I'm thinking, I don't see her over there. Why would she go that direction? And we've never taken her to the playground before. And so we go back. I go towards the exit. I pass the other soccer field, and I finally see her standing on the sidewalk talking to a mom of, of someone else on Faith's soccer team. I get to her, and I pick her up, and she's now safe. And I ask her, what are you doing? What, what, why were you out here? And she said, looking for mommy. Mom wasn't coming, but she got it in her own little two-year-old self that mom was coming, and she was going to be the one to go greet her and get her and help her out with Gavin. So, And if she wasn't stopped, she probably would have crossed the street and kept on going. I don't know. That kid has no boundaries. So (laughs) funny enough, this all happened to me while I was writing this message. And I think God wanted to give me a better understanding of what Mary and Joseph were going through at this time. But while me losing Graceland was only for maybe two, three minutes... Here they went a whole day's journey before realizing Jesus wasn't in the group. This is like making a trip to New York and you get on the plane, you land in New York, and all of a sudden you realize you left your kid back in L.A. This, this is a very scary situation. And on top of it, this just isn't their son. This is God's only son. They have just lost God's only son. <laughs> if I'm in their shoes right now, I'm trying to find Jesus real quick before Dad finds out, right? So... They turn back and they travel a whole day back to Jerusalem. And boy, this must have been a fun trip. I'm sure Mary was blaming Joseph. Joseph was blaming Mary. I told you to grab our son. I asked you to tell him we were leaving. I'm sure it was a great time. So they travel back a full day. And when they get to the big city, they start searching for him. And they find him in the temple. And Mary goes to her son. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. What's the first thing Mary does when he finds him? The, the very same thing all of us parents do when we find our missing kid. She blames him. It's like us saying, why did you do that? You know better. She makes it about herself, just like we make every situation about ourselves. And this is how Jesus responds. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Now, there are two thoughts on this, and I'm going to give you both of them. Some say that Jesus was actually teaching his parents a, a lesson by doing this. That by doing this, he was forcefully showing his parents that he understood his purpose. And that by spending time with the teachers in the temple, that not only did he have a complete understanding of who his father was and what he was meant to do, but he wanted his parents to know this too. The other theory about this, and I think this one is far more accurate, is this is simply a time of growth for Jesus. This young boy, Jesus, most likely got lost in conversation with these teachers and didn't realize his parents were gone. For all we know, Jesus may have even gone to Joseph and said, Hey, Dad, I'm going to be in the temple. And while Joseph heard him, he didn't really hear him. I think all dads are guilty of that. He, he simply wasn't aware that his parents left. And by judging by the way the text is written, Mary and Joseph may have even left Passover early. And when they came back and his mother scalds him, he might even be a bit confused about what's happening, not knowing what his, that his parents were gone. And, and this is what he tells them. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Jesus assumed his parents knew where he was at. And I don't think he meant to hurt or worry his parents so much. Plus, we see that when Mary and Joseph say it's time to go, Jesus gets up and leaves. There, there was a misunderstanding And Jesus grew from that experience. This happens to all of us all the time, but the problem is we don't grow from those moments. And when you don't grow from those moments, we are in fact sinning. Let me clarify this. It all comes down to a heart issue. 
People will make mistakes in life and learn from them. And as people, we sin often. It's like, us, it's like using a roundabout. When you're in the right lane, you turn right. When you're in the left lane, you go straight, you make a left, or you do circles, whatever you want to do. So let's say you've never used a roundabout before, and you're in the right lane, and you go straight. Maybe you accidentally cut someone off, maybe you get pulled over for it, and maybe you get warned a bit. That was a mistake. You didn't know. You can grow from that experience. Well, let's say you're coming up to the roundabout a second time, and you're in the right lane. You know better, but you decide you're going to do what's best for you. You go straight, and that second time is actually a sin because you're taking it upon yourself. If you're in the right lane, turn right. Don't go straight. Okay, I need to find another example. Okay, give me a second. Okay, so these moments of growth are something that children, they make daily. So, spill, by, I mean, like spilling a cup of milk on the ground. That is a mistake kids make that they can grow from, or parents can grow from, not learning not to give their kids such big cups full of so much milk to such little hands. <laughs> Throwing a cup of milk on the floor is a sin children commit. They act out of being angry or frustrated. And the result is the same. It's me cleaning milk up on the floor, but how that milk got there is, was either a moment they can learn from or grow from, or it was sin. Now, There's a very thin line between these moments you can grow from and experience in sin in our daily lives, as sin is also a result of our motives and thoughts along the way. Now, this simple fact brought to light that there is a lot more sin in my life than I previously understood. There are so many times that I take the lazy way or the easy way because of an issue in my heart. It's sin when I get angry at the person that doesn't turn right in the right lane of the roundabout. When you're driving down Skyway and you come up behind someone who's driving 40 miles an hour, how do you react? If you're like me, you start with the first of many sins. You get angry. You get mad at them. Maybe you call them an idiot, and then you drive around them, making sure to get in front of them so they can see what the speed limit is, right? (laughs) Well, those reactions, they all have a heart issue that make that a sin. I'm blaming them because I'm in a hurry. I am driving the speed limit. I understand the rules of the road. I should help them see what the speed limit is. I, I, I am sinning when I should be giving them grace. Maybe they didn't see the speed limit. Maybe they're just driving safely for them. Maybe they are an idiot. Maybe it it doesn't matter. Maybe we should not be focused on ourselves so much and pray for them. What, What about that surprise party you ruined by mentioning it to the person being surprised? Well, if you didn't know it was a surprise party, that was a mistake. That's something you can grow from and learn from. If you knew it was a surprise party, then that was sin. Because either you had the heart to ruin it for them, or you didn't think before you spoke. I've worked in the news business for a long time, and one of the number one complaints I hear about the news is that it's too negative. Well, you're right, it is. Because people sin, and they don't learn from others' mistakes. Could you imagine what the world would be like if the news reported on how a drunk driver injured a family, and everybody was watching the news, and everybody took that heart, and everybody learned from that, and everybody said, drinking and driving is bad, and everyone stopped, it'd be an amazing world. But unlike Jesus, we don't learn from those mistakes. We don't learn from those moments, but we keep on sinning. We tell ourselves that we are okay, that our sin is okay because no one will ever know, or that we will be forgiven, or that it's different for us, when in truth we have a heart issue and we're constantly hardening our hearts. That line between mistake and a sin is sometimes hard for us to see. What it comes down to is what are your motives and thoughts in doing the action? Where is your heart at? That is the bigger question. 
Where in your lives did you experience a moment you can grow from and instead you keep making the same stupid choices? How many lives do you see ruined by not putting God in marriage, children, or work ahead of your own wants and needs? And yet you still keep making the same sinful mistakes. Where is your heart at when you do this action? Is it sin? Or is it a moment that you can grow from and not sin moving forward? Where can Jesus step into your life and help you with this struggle? Who? Who has Jesus put in your life that you can ask for help? Now, let's go back to why Jesus was in the temple. During this time of Passover, all the, all the teachers would get together and have these very deep theological discussions. While this was happening, the public would be invited in to listen and learn from the teachers. If this was to happen today, this would be like all the elders getting together to this, at Element and just talk about God and Jesus in a way that might go over our heads. Like when Aaron throws out big words like dociotism and hypostatic union and superlapsarianism and perpetuation, and I don't even know if I said half those right. So... While the elders are having this very deep theological discussions, we would be invited in to come in and listen to that conversation. Or if it was to happen today, it would probably just be a podcast we can listen to while driving somewhere. So back to Passover and the teachers. They are sitting around having this very deep discussion, asking each other very insightful questions. And this 12-year-old boy walks up into this discussion, sits down, and begins to ask questions of his own. They found him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So here's a young Jesus sitting with the great wise teachers of the time, and he is now asking his own questions. And while we don't know exactly what it was he was saying at the time, we do know that even the teachers were amazed by the depth in which he understood the scripture. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that Jesus was probably asking questions of really deep importance that these wise teachers couldn't answer themselves. He probably went on to answer these own questions and was probably even revealing scripture in a way that had never been done before. This shows us that even at a young age, Jesus did two very important things that we take for granted. He studied scripture and he asked questions. This is something so simple too. Read the Bibles and read the Bible and discuss what you read with others. Yet we don't do it. We say we're too busy, or there isn't enough time, or we don't learn that way, or whatever excuse it is. What it comes down to is we just simply don't make it a priority. We don't make God's word and knowing God's word a priority in our own lives. How about this as a New Year's resolution? Read the Bible. Encourage someone else to do the same. And discuss it with each other. You don't even have to start at the beginning. Just pick a place that you want to read and and dive into it, and maybe have it reveal something to you you've never never seen before, that never was made known to you. Listening is very important. Coming to church on a Sunday morning and hearing the word of God is crucial in growing to understand more about who Jesus is. But the flip side of that is, is talking about it and asking questions. This is why gospel communities are pushed so hard here at Element. GCs are a great place where we can sit together in community and, and discuss what scripture and God's word has to say in our lives. Much like the teachers would get together and discuss theology, that is a wonderful time where we can get together and also discuss theology and have God's word revealed to us and grow us and change us. Jesus was fully human, and he grew to understand scripture by studying it and putting it to memory. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He increased in wisdom. He learned, just as we do, He learned by looking at the Father's word, studying it, and learning from it. He increased in wisdom as he lived, 
and he lived what he learned. Jesus wasn't magically granted all this knowledge, but he humbled himself and allowed himself to grow in knowledge. This particular verse is showing us that Jesus learned that his mother and about how his parents missed him and they thought they had lost him. And let's, let's recap a bit. Mary and Joseph and their extended family, neighbors, and friends, they all pack up and they make a, and they, and they make a trip to the big city to celebrate Passover. While they're there celebrating, Jesus walks into the temple where the teachers are of the day and he's sitting in and having some great theological discussions. And this boy Jesus decides to sit in on this conversation. This conversation becomes very interesting very fast, I'm sure. Jesus is discussing and revealing scripture in a way that had never been done before and he gets lost in conversation. In the meantime, Joseph and Mary decide it's time to go and they start traveling back. While they're heading back, Jesus is back at the temple and he's having these great conversations and probably believes his parents are still in the area and uh, celebrating Passover. And again, he is impressing on the teachers with his understanding of scripture. While traveling home, Jesus' parents realize that Jesus isn't in the crowd and so they start searching for him and they come back to look for him, which is a journey I'm sure was great. They weren't blaming each other at all. And they get back and they find him. And when Mary, while I'm sure Mary was relieved to find him, she scolds him a bit. And this is how Jesus responds. And this is key now. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was submissive to them. Jesus didn't argue. He didn't fight. He didn't prove he was right. He was submissive. How often has God asked you to stop sinning or to live and serve him? Were you submissive? How many times have God asked you to show compassion or love for one another? How often has God said that this is my son who died for you, for me, who took away all our sins so we can have a relationship with him? When God says, come home, come to me, love me, have a relationship with me, when God says that, do you submit to him? Do you follow him? Or do you resist? Do you fight? Do you decide that your way is right and you are more important? Jesus learned that his mother was hurt, that she and Joseph missed him, and that they left when he wasn't aware that they left. So he got up and he went back home. He was submissive. We need to be a people that submit to our father. We need to be people that love our dad and come home to him when he's calling us home. And he is calling us home. He's calling you home. Right now is a moment of epiphany. And if you want to live a life full of hope, love, and peace, then that is a life with Jesus. A life where we realize that Jesus understood what it was to be fully human. This is why we come to communion every Sunday. This is why we break that cracker and that, that represents his body that was broken for us. And we dip it in the wine or the grape juice that represents his blood that was spilt for you and I. We're going to worship through music. The band is going to come up. We're going to worship through the songs we sing. We're going to worship through giving. There's offering boxes on the side and in the back. You see, this is a time of epiphany for us where we realize who Jesus was and And that should affect our lives. We need to realize how great God is, how God loves us, how God sent his only son for us. When we realize who Jesus is, we're going to realize how that's, that's going to make an effect in our lives. And so when God's calling us home, how are you going to react? Are you going to fight or are you going to be submissive? Where are those moments in our lives that we can grow from, that we can learn from? Do we learn from?
there's a heart issue, and we all have these hardened hearts, and the only way to soften them is through a relationship with Jesus. It's the only way. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship through music and have a great time. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being such a great and loving God. Thank you for sending us your Son to not only save us, but to be an example for us. I pray that you would allow us to to really realize how great you are. To realize that you are worth living for. You are worth serving. You are worth giving our lives for. That when we sin, that we realize that you have allowed us a way to have a relationship with you. To be your people. God, help us understand that, you know, even as as broken people that we are, that you, you have fixed us. God, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.